and welcome to the Feeling Good Podcast, where you can learn powerful techniques to change the way you feel. I am your host, Rhonda Borowski, and joining me here in the Murrieta studio is Dr. David Burns. Dr. David Burns is a pioneer in the development of cognitive behavioral therapy and the creator of the new teen therapy. He is the author of Feeling Good, which has sold over 5 million copies in the United States and has been translated into over 30 languages. David is currently an emeritus adjunct professor of clinical psychiatry at Stanford University School of Medicine. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 150. Hi, David. Hello, Rhonda. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to do a podcast that was sparked by a, um, a listener who sent you an email. Is that correct? Yeah. He sent you an email? And his name, which is not his real name, but the name that we're calling him is Rubens. I think that's probably his real name. Oh, that's his real name. Yeah, the one who, who was uh, having a problem with compulsive shoplifting. <laughs> Robbins, where is he from? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, this Rubens is his real name, but oh. uh, it's, it's, it's a, just a, a cool, interesting question. Okay. And here is his question. Here's his email. I mean, I've read Feeling Good, and I'm reading When Panic Attacks Now. Both have and are helping me immensely. However, the one thing I've never understood is that my anxieties and worries don't come as a thought. For instance, I have an academic presentation tomorrow, and I'm suffering from much anxiety because of that. But the symptoms do not appear because I thought in my mind the sentence, you are going to fail, or I am going to fail. In my case, it is usually silent. I just remember that I have a presentation tomorrow, then I immediately feel worried. My chest hurts before any thought. How do I counter-argument my thoughts if I have none? Thank you for replying, Dr. David. Well, thank you, Rubens, for that cool question. And uh, the reason I like it is because it's going to appeal to so many people who have had this, this same issue. I, in fact, I, I think I might have even had this concern in the early days of cognitive therapy that you couldn't identify your negative thoughts? Yeah, or maybe you can have feelings that aren't, aren't caused by thoughts. Remember, I've told the story of the fellow who was trapped on the railroad. Oh, right, right. And, uh, and it was even in that situation, it was his thoughts, not, not the fact that a train was about to hit him, that were, were creating his, his mood. Uh, Epictetus, he, he gave us a principle that, that's pretty darn hardcore and basic, and that's that you can't have... A negative emotion, without having some thought that causes Sorry, it. Epictetus, who's that? Epictetus, yeah. Who's that? He was a Greek uh, Stoic philosopher, oh. and he started all of this about two thousand years ago. Oh. And also, one of his students, Marcus Aurelius, wrote a book called Meditations about two thousand years ago, which is like the first cognitive therapy self-help book, and it didn't get published uh, until. About 20 years ago, it was published in, in London, and it became a number one bestseller in England 2,000 years after it was Well, wow, it's written. so interesting to think of Marcus Aurelius as a self-help Yeah, author. I thought he was a warrior. He probably <laughs> yeah. was. You yeah. Know, but, uh, but yes, in fact, a lot of the interpersonal therapy I do is also based on, on something that Marcus Aurelius said. 
he, he said, if, if someone criticizes you, tell them that, that if only you know me, knew me better, you, you'd see that there's much more than just that to criticize me about. And, and that's the whole basis of the disarming technique. Yeah, that's so true. And, wow, that's uh, neat. It's just as powerful today yeah. as it was 2,000 years ago. But Epictetus one, was the one who said, men are disturbed not by things, but by, by our thoughts about them. And, and I changed it to people, not men. We're, 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 we're affected by not events, but, but our interpretation. And even something as, as radical as, you know, when they flew the planes into the Twin Towers in New York, you still had to have a thought in order to have a reaction to it. And some people were terrified because they were thinking, oh my gosh, we're under attack, our civilization, our country is in danger. Others were enraged because they were thinking this is unfair, they're, they're, they're losers, they're horrible human beings, we, we need to retaliate and get revenge on them. And then some people, particularly some people in the Mideast who were unhappy with America, felt happy when they saw this, they, and they had the thought, Americans are getting what they deserve, now they know what it's like to have people invading their country and killing their, 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 their people. So it's all, there's always a, a thought. And so what I told Rubens, uh, which, is, which is what I would tell the, the listeners, if, if you can't figure out what your negative thoughts are, well, there's a couple ways to do it. But the, the simplest one, make sure it's at a specific moment, a specific event. So in this case, it's Ruben has to give an important talk at work or at the university or wherever he works the, the next day. And then just make up some thoughts. What, what would somebody who's facing that kind of situation and they're feeling scared, what might they be, be telling themselves? And then just write some stuff down. Don't try to figure out what your own thoughts are. Just make up some thoughts. Like if you were doing a cartoon and there was a bubble above the cartoon figure's head. Like what would an imaginary person say? Yeah, what in are that they situation? thinking? And they're scared. Thinking. And then, then you want to read what. what so he, you asked Rubens to do that? Yeah, and then he. Okay, and he, so he said. He wrote, a person in my situation could be thinking, I will stutter a lot. Okay, I'm going to put that down. I, I will stutter a lot. Okay. As a non-native English speaker, my English is not great. People might think less of me when I use the wrong words. Okay, that, that's a good one. So that they'll think less of me. They'll judge uh, because, me. Yeah, yeah think, think uh, less of me. People may ask questions about my research that I don't know how to address, and then I'll look dumb. Yeah, c c questions about my research, and then I'll look dumb. This is this is great. Yeah, it's really great. They may argue that my methodology is weak, that I'm not finding the real causal relation. I think I am. Right. Let me write this down. I'll say my my uh, my methodology is weak. Yeah. I'm not finding the real causal relation. I think I am. Right. Mm -hmm. Then everything else I will say afterward won't matter, and I'll feel awkward for the rest of the seminar. Yeah, great. And yeah, he has one more. Mm -hmm. I won't be able to present everything in 30 minutes, then I'll rush at the end and forget important parts. Great. Can, can, shall I read what else he wrote? Yeah, I yeah. am. I think I understand where you want me to get at. Even though I'm not aware of the thoughts explicitly, they're there, right? May I call these silent thoughts, beliefs? 
Thank you again, Rubens. Yeah, and that was that was great. And those are exactly the thoughts that, that Ruben had. And then once you've got them written down on a piece of paper, then then you can you can deal with, with them. Uh, and we can come back to his negative thoughts. This is one of my most pop favorite topics is public speaking anxiety, because as you know, I've had that horribly in the past and really enjoyed getting over it. So I enjoy walking people walking people through it. But there's one other way to figure out what your negative thoughts are before we work on Rubin's thoughts, and that's Beck's theory of cognitive specificity. And we've talked about it before, but uh, it, would, uh, it wouldn't hurt to have a helpful reminder. And that's, see, Epictetus said, our thoughts create our emotions, and that, that was about it. It's a general kind of theory, that, but what Beck said was that specific kinds of emotions refer from specific kinds of thoughts. Like, if you're, so if you fill out a daily mood log and take a particular moment when you're upset, then you circle all of your negative emotions and estimate how strong they are from zero to 100. So you may be feeling depressed, 80, anxious, 90, guilty or ashamed, 80, uh, inferior, inadequate, uh, 100, hopeless, 90, uh, you know, angry, uh, 60, that type of thing. And each of those kinds of emotions results from a certain kind of thought. And we'll, we'll review that real quickly for you listeners who, uh, who might be interested in this. And uh, what, what, Rhonda, what kind of thoughts always cause anxiety. If you're feeling anxious, what kind of thought would you have? What kind of thought would I have if I'm feeling anxious? Yeah. Um, a thought about not being able to do something or a worry that, about protecting someone or something kind of magical thinking that if I don't do something, someone will be harmed. Those are all great thoughts. The simple, quick answer to it is it's the prediction of danger. Oh, yeah. All anxiety results from telling yourself that you're in danger and that something terrible is about to happen. And you can see that here in uh, Ruben's thoughts, uh, like uh, the last questions I can't answer, I'll look dumb, uh, you know, the, I'm going to stutter, my English will be poor. These are all, all negative, negative predictions. And, and, uh, and they do predict danger. Yeah, 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 that, that something terrible is going to happen that's going to screw, screw up his, his career. Um, now, um, the, the, what kind of thoughts would, would cause somebody to feel guilty? What oh. are you telling yourself when you feel guilty? I've done something wrong? Yes, I violated my, my value system, and, and, and I'm a bad person. Uh, I, I, I've hurt someone I love. I've done something bad. I am bad. And I distinguish guilt and shame in the following way. You can use these words any way you want, but to me, guilt is when you're telling yourself that you're bad because you violated your, your values, that you've done something morally wrong. Shame is the feeling someone else is going to see this about me, that someone else is going to judge me for, for being bad and for being a loser or whatever. Actually, we just talked about that. There's another version. Um, Jacob Tauri was telling us it wasn't original. He said it wasn't original to him, but we were just talking about that. And I, I think it was R Benet Brown. Is that her name? I don't remember who he talked about, but he said 
that um, guilt is when you think I did I did something wrong behaviorally, and shame is when you feel like I am a bad person. Yeah, I don't use that distinction, but you can use that one as as well. You can use these words in, in any way, in any way you want. Uh, but uh, guilt can be I'm a bad person too. Uh-huh. Uh it, You know, like I'm a bad mother, I'm a bad father, I'm a bad teacher. Um, I, I hurt. So it's a pretty subtle alone. difference. But, but yeah, you can. They're just sounds that come out of our mouth. Right. Guilt. <laughs> you know, we use those words in, in right. a variety of ways. Uh, now, how about how about depression? Well, I was going to ask if you're feeling sad or depressed. It. Uh, you want it, me to answer that one? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I want to answer. Isn't that based in hopeless thoughts? Thoughts about hopelessness? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Um, we can talk about hopelessness. That's an easy one. Then come back to depression. Okay. What 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 kind of thoughts cause hopelessness? What kind of thoughts cause hopelessness? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, you know, negative predictions of the future. No. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, uh, like this things will never, will never not, change. This will never get better. Yeah. My problems can never can never be solved. I'll I'll be feeling worthless uh, forever. I, I really am a, a worthless hum, human being, and this this will never will never change. And hopelessness is one of the the greatest hoaxes of depression uh, because it's never valid, and yet it it feels so real that a lot of people who feel hopeless turn to suicide, thinking mm-hmm. it's the only only way out. Uh, and hopelessness is almost always a symptom of, of, of depression. Uh, so you were right in associating that with depression, but depression is caused by, by a different kind of thought. Do you want me to tell you what that one is, or do you have an idea? Um, can I tell you a guess? Yeah. Uh, thoughts about that things will never get better? Well, that's the that's hopeless, hopeless one. Okay, you, t- you tell us. Well, I think there's two ways of, th- of thinking about uh, d- depression. Uh, it, depression is the belief that you've lost something central to your self, sense of self-esteem or, or central to, to your sense of, of, of contentment or, or feeling, feeling worth, worthwhile. Like uh, you, you may feel that you failed at something important to your self-esteem and, and so, or that you, you've been rejected by someone you love and, and therefore you're, 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 you're worthless. Uh, and I, I think that that's a really a really good way of thinking about depression. That you you feel you've lost something to to your sense of of self esteem or worthwhileness uh, or capacity for, for for happiness as as a human being. Um, and then how about um, uh, yeah? And and it also what we do in positive reframing, as you know, your depression shows your passion for the thing that you've lost. Your passion for for life, uh, as, and the fact that that's that that's missing. How about anger? Well, that's an easy one, right? I've of, been wronged. Yeah, uh-huh, that's right. It's a sense of uh, unfairness or injustice. Someone is breaking moral codes. Someone is intentionally trying to hurt me, trying trying to take advantage of me. And then, um, if you feel inferior, what what kind of thoughts cause feeling inferior or you're yeah, not being a, good enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not good enough, and others are better than I am. And it's this belief that you have a self that 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 doesn't doesn't measure up. 
So anyway, that's how to identify your negative thoughts, and, and you should always do it on paper. And, and we're going to actually have a series of podcasts coming up here pretty soon. Once you've got written down your thoughts, not only how to identify the distortions in them, but we're going to have our cognitive distortion starter kit. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, we're going to have 12 separate podcasts uh, on each of the 10 distortions. And the reason there's 12 is because one of them, jumping to conclusions, there's three different kinds of jumping to conclusions. So so that's actually will be three podcasts rather than one, but we'll have an all or nothing broadcast, a, uh, uh, an overgeneralization po- podcast, uh, discounting the positive and mental filtering, uh, and uh, you'll, you'll see the, the very best techniques for, for each distortion. And by the way, once you've written your thoughts down, the distinction between a healthy and negative, negative feeling, a healthy one and an unhealthy one, is that the unhealthy one always has a lot of distortions in the negative thought. Whereas a healthy negative emotion, like healthy sadness, uh, there's no distortions in the thought. Like when my my cat Obi died, you know, I thought I, you know, I loved him and he was a beautiful fellow and 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 he he was a miracle in in our life and I'll I'll miss him and I loved him. Well, then why would then that that type of sadness was not a negative emotion? It was just itself. It's just itself was sad. Well, I would say that sadness without distortions, without distortions is the most positive emotion a human being can have. Yeah, I agree with you. Because it's, it's, it's so a spiritual honest. thing. It, right. It's, uh, those tears are tears of love and, and, and connection. Now, uh, how about let's come back to our fellow Rubens. Is that his, his yes, name? Yes, his real name. Uh, so he's uh, saying... Uh, uh, you know, I, I will stutter a lot. What are, what are the distortions in, in that? Well, I would, I'd suggest it was um, all or nothing thinking. Because right. he's saying he's going to stutter a lot, and he's not going to have an opportunity to not stutter. Yeah. It's also overgeneralization. He'll stutter a lot, and he's over, he's generalizing to his entire talk. Yeah. Um, he's, Is it also a, a, a should statement? I yes, that's it is a should statement. I shouldn't stutter, mm-hmm. right? It's um. Uh, is it mind reading? It's mind reading. Why is it mind reading? He's it's fortune telling. It's fortune telling because he's projecting into the future what 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 may happen that he mm-hmm. doesn't really know. Um, mind reading? Is he reading his own mind and about what he may or may not happen? No, he's no? reading the minds of the audience. I'll, start, I'll stutter a lot and I'll think I'm a loser. That's what he's really saying. I'll stutter a lot and people will judge me. Yeah, yeah. But it's it, definitely a mental filter where he's focusing on oh, yeah. only the negatives yeah, and discounting yeah. the positives. He's not talking about the times when he's clearly speaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's emotional reasoning. I feel like I'm going to screw it up, so I will screw it up. Uh, so and how- it's labeling. He's labeling himself a stutterer. yeah. Yeah, and in my English is not great. They'll think less of me. There's more more mind reading and magnification, magnification. and uh, more should should statements. So probably all of them are in all of the distortions are in all of his statements. Yeah, or almost all of them. They'll ask questions about my my research and and all look look dumb. And uh, how would we talk back to that thought, Rhonda? They'll ask questions about my research and I'll look dumb. This is one of the 
thoughts that almost all people with public speaking anxiety have. They'll ask some kind of question that I don't and know I the answer to. <laughs> How would you talk back to that thought? Well, I may look dumb. I probably will look dumb. And then I'll, people will, will judge me and we'll have a good laugh over it. And, and then I'll have the opportunity to say it again. Um, and maybe it's okay to look dumb. You want to hear my answer to it? I think your answer will be a lot funnier than mine. Huh? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> the, the, the way I would ask it, answer that is, is to say, I, I sure hope they ask questions I don't know the answer to. Because then I'll be able to say to them, you know, that's a really awesome question. And to tell you the truth, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, let's talk about it after the talk. I'd love to pick your brain on this. How's that? That's really good. Yeah, and why is that good? Because it's very disarming and flattering to the other person, and it's bringing them in yeah. to the discussion. Yeah. It's not setting each other apart as I'm an expert and you know nothing. It's yes. collaborative. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's right. That, that was, that's extremely helpful to me. And once I got, got that one, wow, most of my public speaking anxiety went away. How about this one? My methodology is weak. Uh, they, they'll claim that I, I can't actually find the causal relationship I'm claiming that, that I found. How would you talk back to that one? Well, um, I don't think I would use self-acceptance with that one. I'd I'd want to I'd want to argue that you know I've done a lot of work in this whatever it is I've done, and I've I actually think my methodology is pretty strong. It's not bad. You want to hear my response? <laughs> As uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say you're 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 right. In fact, the the situation is worse than what what you're saying. <laughs> not only is it impossible to claim a causal connection from my research, it's impossible to do that in all of science. We, we can say this looks like it might be a causal connection, but there's always possible intermediate factors or other explanations for your findings. So I, I totally agree with, with, with what you're saying. Okay. And, and I'd love to chat with you more about this because this is one of my favorite topics is how, how we, whether, what we can safely conclude from our research and what we can't safely conclude. But I, I thank you for bringing that super important point up. Okay, How's David, that? that was really it. How would you talk back to people might think less of me when I use the wrong words? Well, at the beginning, I'm, I'll just, I'm just going to announce, uh, I hope you don't think less of me when I use the wrong <laughs> words, because if you want to, you'll have a lot of opportunities, because as you know, my, my English is my second language, and I'm just honored to be here, and I just love all of you, and I've got some exciting findings to present to you, but uh, I, I might stutter a little here or there, you know, you speak in broken English, and uh, I, I, I hope you'll, uh, I hope you give me a little little slack. Wow, that's really beautiful, and actually, it sounds like the theme through all of talking back to these negative thoughts is of being humble. Yes, yes, and making friends with the person, and not viewing them as, as an enemy, and, and, and once I saw that, that, see, again, it's your thoughts, create your emotions, not, not what they say to you. Uh, when I was in, in Baylor University, when I was doing my research on brain chemistry, I had a chance to speak at a big symposium, and I was reviewing the world literature on brain serotonin and depression. And there were about a thousand psychiatrists in the audience, 
and the talk was going pretty well because I actually had excellent material to not only my own research, but I had reviewed the entire world literature, so I, I was kind of up on, on the topic. Brain serotonin is that thing claimed you know, to be the chemical imbalance that causes depression, which our research showed it really wasn't the cause of depression. But at any rate, halfway through the talk, this man in the very back row stood up and started screaming at me. And, and so I, you know, I called on him and he says, I'm so, you know, you, he's using four letter words, effing, ticked off at all you people, you're, you're insiders, you're involved in this conspiracy with, with drug companies to claim depression is due to chemical imbalance in the brain. And my research has been ignored uh, because I have found out it's, it's actually due to a deficiency of vitamin B12 or some, something. And, and I have proof of it in my laboratory and no one will publish my research. And, and it, I, I think you're all just screwed type, type of thing. And he was really just super hostile. And then I remembered, you know, from the five secrets, disarming and stroking. And I said, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm so glad you brought that point up. My own research has shed tremendous doubt on this whole serotonin chemical imbalance theory of depression. And I've also come to the conclusion it's not the cause of depression. But you're also right that money drives this theory and drives a lot of research and that there's research often that's pretty much in the service of marketing for drug companies rather than getting at the truth. Uh, and that's not only in, in psychiatry, but in, in all of medicine, this is the problem. And we're indebted to mavericks like you who are working unknown and often coming up with the true causes of things like Cade from Australia who came up with the true causes of ulcers. And it wasn't due to excess stomach acid, it was due to a bacteria he found. And for years people laughed at him too. And so if you can come up at the end of the talk, I would love to hear more about your, your research. It sounds tremendous. And he quieted right down and I was able to, to finish my talk. And then at the end of the talk, people rushed up to the podium, probably 30 psychiatrists. And, and I saw him run up the aisle from the back and he pushed his way to the front, pushed, just pushed people out of the way and came up to the front. I thought he was going to start screaming at me again. He, he says, Dr. Burns, that's by far the best presentation I've ever heard on brain chemistry. Could I borrow your slides? I want to give this talk too to my students and to my, my colleagues. But it was the same thing that of, of viewing your audience as, as human beings and, and treating them with respect and treating your, yourself with respect and realizing that the, 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 the key is not to impress people and sweep them off their feet, but, but you, you do want to have good material just like in a podcast, we, we want to have good material, but you also want to treat people with, with, with warmth and respect and, and, and let your ego be dead so you don't have to defend your, your territory and you can see the truth in criticisms and praise people rather than engage them in, in battle. How, how do you not respond... Um when you're being attacked with defensiveness and arguments? Well, it has to do with whether you've drifted in or out of enlightenment. We've talked about this, this theme before. But uh, I used to be out of enlightenment all the time, so I f felt like myself was being attacked, and then I, then I would argue. And then when I drift back into enlightenment and realize I have no self, and I just focus on the specifics, that, that, then I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get defensive. 
but I think practice is, is, is a great deal to, to do with it. Because so if you practice, like playing the keys on a piano over and over again, you get to where you can agree with anything, and we can do it right now. Quite, I'll be David, and you can be someone in an audience, if you like, and okay. you just hammer me with horrible, hostile statement one after the other, but after each response, we'll grade, grade David. You know, I practice a kind of therapy where um, people tell me the story of their lives. And that is really helpful for them to go over and over and over the story of their lives. And all this talk about methods and testing, it just gets in the way. I don't understand why you do it. Well, you know, we're on the same page here. If you, and I teach this all the time, you know, and people, people won't listen. They're so eager to attack someone with methods rather than sitting back to hear what the person has to say, to, to connect with them, to let them tell their, their story. It's, we all need that when, when we're hurting. And if you try to skip that step in therapy, you're, you're not a healer, you're just, you're just a technician and you're gonna fail a, a good percentage of the time. And I so appreciate your, your, your saying that uh, and, and, and reminding all, all of us of the, the huge importance of uh, what Carl Rogers taught us many, many years ago. Now, grade that. I'd save that an A. I mm -hmm. would definitely give that an A. Yeah. I feel pretty um, kind of like joined in with you and that I feel respected, that you took what I said seriously and you saw value in what I said. Yeah. So try to be more outrageous. Say something even more impossibly uh, You know, you horrific. say, okay, here's one. You say that you can cure people in two hours. That's an insult to people like me. I see my clients for f years. I have one client I've seen seven years, and that's a short time period. And, and we're just right now getting to the place where I realize what it is that has harmed him in his life. Yeah, it sounds like you've been working with someone who trusts you and appreciates you and working at a very very deep level and and I think I think you're right that if if you don't t take the time to, to get to get to know someone you just throw techniques at them it's 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 not going to be be effective and and what did what did you say first I, I, I kind of I mean lost. it's an insult to say oh that it's you an can insult exactly heal yeah. someone in two hours yeah yeah I th this has been something that's that's dawning on me as well and and I think you're pointing at a kind of blind blind spot I've had. I've I've sometimes actually had patients who reacted with, with hurt and anger when I suggested that we could work quickly and get them over their problems quickly because they have, have sometimes felt that that trivializes their their problems and shows a lack of of respect and empathy for for the great pain that they've been through. And so I've had I've had to learn to listen as well, and, and to be sensitive to how other people are, are feeling. Uh, all that being said, uh, I, 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 I ha it does bring me joy to see someone re recover rapidly, but there are still people who, who don't recover rapidly, and, and that, that's where my, my research and focus is, and, and I might want to talk to you and learn what, what some of the things that you've discovered and, and learned uh, through your depth work o over time. And, you know, maybe, maybe I could learn a little bit there too. Hmm. How was that? That was really good. Mm -hmm. And for the same reason, I felt heard and understood and joined in with you. And, and you, you were asking me if I could help teach you some of the things that I do. And, 
Yeah. And seeing yeah, your own blind right. spot. Right. See, that's the not the not having the self. But it's when you have a self that you think you've got to defend some territory. Well, that that was much too simple. But try something really strong by David, isn't it true that you're a, a totally worthless human being and everyone knows it or something like that? Oh. <clears throat> this is a good practice. Now, I'm, I'm doing this as practice for listeners. If you'd like to learn the disarming technique, this is how I taught myself. Really? You know, David, you're just so mean-spirited. I don't understand how people can come to your trainings because you're, you're so unkind to them. It's painful to hear that because I've often said things that had a cutting edge to, to them. And uh, when I hear that, I feel uh, sad and ashamed. Uh, in fact, when I was in private practice, I guess even now when I treat people for free, the thing I don't—I never—I don't. Doesn't make any difference how depressed someone is. It never lowers my spirit. The more depressed they are, the happier I feel because I feel I can bring them something really fantastic in today's session. But when I slip and say something that hurts somebody's feelings, it's it's like getting kicked in the in the stomach myself. And I think this is one of the things where the idea that we're all one uh, is pain, painfully true. When you hurt another person, you hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can tell me things I've done or said that hurt hurt your feelings, or things that I said that hurt hurt so- someone else's feelings. It's it's hard to hear about that because it's. Uh, I, I know it's true, but uh, it, it gives me a chance to learn and grow and, 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 and to become more tender and sensitive and compassionate. And without that, we're, we're nowhere. Oh my God, I feel like I've just melted butter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you have to practice it, and, um, and it has to come from the heart. It can't be done as, as a gimmick. I pra- I, can I give you tell you a story? Yeah. I went camping this weekend, and it was at a music festival, and the people in the tent right next to me, um, they played music till about 3 a.m., and then at 6 a.m., they started talking really loudly, and I was swearing in my head thinking what horrible people they were, and I thought about the five secrets, and I got out of the tent, and I walked over to them. I practiced this several times in my head and said, hi, you guys look like you're having a really good time, and that's why we're here. We're here to have a good time aren't we? And they said, yes. And I said, I'm, not, I'm really happy that you're having a good time. And they said, gee, thanks. And I said, but do you think you could be just a little bit quieter? Because there are a few other people who want to sleep. And they said, oh, thank you for telling us. Sure. And they quieted right down. And I know they reacted better than if I had gone over there and sworn at them. Oh, yeah. 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 I've wanted to swear at people quite a few times yeah. in my life. I even did it once or twice and it worked. But it wasn't a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when the five secrets fail, then you can use number six, which is uh, screw you. <laughs> anyway, thanks. Yes. For, uh, anyway, for, that's just a good little story about life. That's what happened cool. with five secrets in life? But I, I, you know, you're right. It does take practice, yeah, and it's we, beautiful when, to listen to you because it's so heartwarming. Yeah, yeah. And but I, I can't. I don't do it all the time. I slip up just like everyone else. But yeah. I do. Well, I'm glad remember, you're not perfect. I remember it most of the time, and it, yeah. it really makes life an awful lot easier. Well, David, shall we end this podcast with yep. you telling us about the intensives? Oh, yeah. I keep for- forgetting there's going to be th- two summer intensives, uh, four days each. And so if you really want to learn team therapy, this is the best way to do it. July 15th through 18th, 2019 in Calgary, Canada. And that's sponsored by Jack Carosi and Associates. I've worked with him for years, and he just puts on a fabulous uh, Canadian workshop always. 
Then uh, in July 29th to August 1st, 2019, uh, there's going to be the South San Francisco four-day in intensive, and I know you're going to be there helping to teach, and uh, Jill Levitt is going to be there doing a live demo with me. We're going to have many people from the Feeling Good Institute there to help the participants, help you with your small group practice. You get specific individual mentoring and feedback from me and at least a dozen other expert teachers. So that, that's July 29th to August 1st, 2019, South San Francisco, the annual intensive. And then my first um, intensive on the East Coast in a good 25 years uh, will be November 4 to 7, 2019 in Atlanta, Georgia. And that will be sponsored by Praxis, as will my, my one this summer in San Francisco, the South San Francisco, and you can find links to all of these and more information on my website on the workshop page. The website is feelinggood.com. Feeling good is one word uh, with two G's in the middle, feelinggood.com. Click on workshops and then you'll see the, uh, the links and you can get the write-ups on, on these three tremendous, uh, tremendous intensives. I want to thank Rubens for sending this really great email that sparked this entire podcast. Yeah. And um, shall we encourage other people to keep sending you emails? Yes. The, we, I, I love it when you, you have asked David's general questions, ask David questions about relationship issues and five secrets issues, or just suggestions for, for podcasts. And it just it makes it more fun for me and maybe for you too, Rhonda. To, yeah, it is fun. Because uh, then we're engaged as, as a group rather than some experts, you know, throwing things, throwing things at you. Yep. Okay, well, thanks, everyone. And thank you, David. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you, everybody. Until next time. This has been another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast. For more information, visit Dr. Burns' website at feelinggood.com, where you will find the show notes for this episode under the podcast page. You will also find archives of previous episodes and many resources for therapists and non-therapists. We welcome your comments and questions. If you want to support the show, please share the podcast with people who might benefit from it. You could also go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. The theme music is Gypsy Jazz in Paris, 1935, composed and performed by Brett Van Donzel. I am your host, Rhonda Borowski. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I invite you to join us next time for another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast.